Hi everyone, Julia and Ashley here. We just wanted to say before we start that this episode deals with body image, uh, obesity, um, and eating disorders. We're talking about the obesity epidemic that started in the 90s and how it's kind of affected diet, media, and body positivity culture today. So please, you know, audience discretion advised and take care of yourself. Ready? Rewind. My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hon. You can't sit with us! Your pants are all that's with me right now. Many parents are struggling with how best to help their overweight children. And make no mistake about it, childhood obesity is a staggering problem. It's called Worldwide Day of Play. That eating healthy isn't about how you look, it's about how you feel. So when we talk about what to eat, it's not, you know, don't eat that because it'll make you fat. You get fat. No, why would I get fat? Bread makes you fat. Bread makes you fat? What'd you see? Well, the whole school was getting fat, y'all. I'm talking about a lot of junk in the trunk. <laughs> see, Racy, now that could be your future if you keep eating at the food court. You're right, y'all. I'm done with the food court. At 17, I started to starve myself. This is ridiculous. Now, if you want one man's opinion, I think you are both two very beautiful young women. You really think so? Absolutely. You don't need to change the way that you look. Thanks, Mosby. You're the best. <laughs> Good night. I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hi. As What's up, Ash? I'm good, yes. Probably heard this is going to be a little bit more of a serious episode, but sometimes that's just life. <laughs> Bet you didn't know me and Ashley were educated, huh? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> But besides that, I'm pretty good. Um, I watched The Crown. A little infuriating, but it's fine. It's good. <laughs> um, yeah, and I've been playing some Among Us on my iPad. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Among Us is so good. Can we play some Among Us after this? <laughs> sure, maybe. Okay. We'll, we'll see. No one's as like, good as it is AOC, though. Yeah, that was... She's a gamer. She's a gamer She's a girl. gamer now. She's going to drop out of Congress and become a Twitch streamer. Honestly, I, she would probably be happier. <laughs> Honestly. Radicalize the kids on Twitch or something. Anyways, that's good. I'm happy you? you could watch Prince Charles and Margaret Thatcher ruin a perfectly nice young woman. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just hanging out. Um, I watched The Queen's Gambit. So now I've been staring at everything really intently and walking around like I can play chess in my mind, which is really probably annoying for everyone who has to be within a five foot radius of me. Every time I'm like, I sit down, I just like put my hands under my chin and I like look at the table and, you know, everyone's like, okay, bitch, calm down. It's just your Cheerios. You don't have to look at it that intently. (laughs) Relax. But yeah, it makes me wish I was like a childhood prodigy. I was like, oh, 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 I got my, I got my uh, 2020 unwrapped. Oh, who was your top? So my top artists were Mitski, Courtney Barnett, Marika Hackman. I don't know who else. I think Slater Kinney. Then, I don't know, maybe Alanis Morissette, just because of how many times I listen to Ironic every day. <laughs> uh, but that's, or uh, 
what's that song? My last artist, I don't know who they were. Maybe Harry Styles. So basically, my preferred genre of 2020 has just been unhinged women, you know, which is a pretty good genre and subgenre to like fall into. But like you let yourself be dominated by one genre, unhinged women. <laughs> and I'm like, perfect. I remember my number one genre was show tunes. So if you. <laughs> so you are an unhinged woman. <laughs> yeah. My number one artist was Taryn Edger- Edgerton. He plays Elton John in Rocket Man. So it's basically <laughs> the Rocket Man soundtrack was my number one listened to artist. Oh my gosh. So if that tells you anything about me. Um, also, my number one song was Kings and Queens by Ava Max. I did not realize how many times I listened to that song. Do you know what my number one song was? What? That Kooky Kawaii song from TikTok, If I Back It Up. Is oh. it that, that song? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't listen to it. And it was like, you are you peaked on that song by listening to it 54 times on April <laughs> And I'm like, did I listen to it that many times? And then I never listened to it again. It was like you listened to it this many times on April like 14th and then never again. Yeah, that's the same. Like it showed me like you started streaming on April 9th and then you listened to it again on like May 11th, like uh, like 25 times by then. I'm like, what? Really? I guess I was just feeling myself at that time. Yeah, mine was literally just, you listen to the song 54 times on April 14th, and then once (laughs) on April 15th, and then never again. And then you screw I know, so that's my number one song. My my number two song was, I'm not even going to talk about it. It's embarrassing. It's all embarrassing. I think it was, maybe it was Washing Machine Heart by Mitski. Do you know that one tiktok that's like if mitski is your favorite sad girl artist then you know true sadness well my number three was show yourself from frozen (laughs) 2 i don't know you i don't even know you so if anything good girl that's a good song very much a it's like a queer anthem i haven't seen frozen 2 it's pretty good it's on disney plus maybe we'll watch it in the next zoom party it's just the songs are i think this the songs are really good. The story's kind of eh at times, but I enjoyed it better than Frozen 1. There's a, like a rock ballad that Kristoff sings. It's very like 80s hair band. It's amazing. 10 out of 10. Best thing Disney's ever done. I can't do this without my fan running in the background. It's too quiet. Julia, then they're just going to hear it. A- <laughs> it's just a fan. I don't but hear I can't it. do it without my fan. If you're a fan, she's gonna get pissed. Erica's never heard my fan before, and it's been on for like three of our episodes, and I pretended like it wasn't. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm so sorry to everyone on this team. I know I've let you down. Because I'm just this keep that part in. I'm looking at my my top songs of 2020s. It's shocking, <laughs> but it's not. And I'm like, I can't even be disappointed in myself. I had a rough year, all right. I know. My music is really just half angsty women, half Italian pop music. And then some Dolly Parton mixed in. Yeah, I have a Dolly Parton song in my top, but I've listened to more Dolly. She's great when you go on walks. And oh, it's like so sunny good. out. It's like the Or like, if you're about to have a mental breakdown, listen to the bridge and just cry. Oh, the bridge. Or Daddy Come Get Me. Yeah. Or Oh uh, Me and Little Andy. Ah! that's ready to stop that's a sad song 
but she sings it so beautifully. <laughs> she does. Do you know what song I've been streaming like nonstop? Mm. Miss Independent. Do you know what my top genre was? My top like decade? Guess. 2000s? Yeah. I'm not shocked. Why? Knowing your history of music, that's not shocking to me. I guess so. I think I'm more of like, I would, I would assume I was more of a 90s person. But I guess I am a 2000s person. Yeah, like late 90s, early 2000s. Like the podcast. Like our podcast. My number five song was La Tua Fortua Ex Molie. I know my Italian accent's really bad, but it, the song title means your future ex-wife. Listen to it. It's a banger. I think someone on Tinder recommended it to me, and I was like, nice. <laughs> then I just <laughs> never talked to them again. But it's a great song. Thank you. Shout out to whoever that was. So I've been talking to this um, so this one boy I've been talking to for a little bit. He's very nice and everything. He made me a playlist because I had to go under quarantine. Everything's Everyone's fine, but I had to go under quarantine. Uh, I was negative for COVID. But he made me a sweet little quarantine playlist. Mm-hmm. And that was very, so I've been, I've been discovering new songs. And I was very vibing today during my day job. And I was like, yeah, these are good songs. <laughs> what songs are on there? I told our friend um, Jackie that he put a couple Mountain Goat songs. So I texted her and be like, hey, he posted some songs of it. Let's see, 1975, Bright Eyes. Bright Eyes? Yeah. The song Bright Eyes? No, the band. Um, whatever. <laughs> Ooh, Fleetwood Mac. Ooh, I love Black Magic Woman. Mm-hmm. That's a good song. The Chain. Put mm, that to chain. Unhinged Woman. I asked for a Fleetwood Mac uh, vinyl for Christmas. Ooh. So. Are you going to buy me a weighted blanket for Christmas? No. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, also, Salmo, the Italian rapper. Probably not how you say his name. I, I am... C plus at Italian on a good day. So I'm probably D minus right now because that's just the mood I'm in. But it's a song called Perdonami. Very good. I, I'm so bad at Italian. This is embarrassing. I feel like I don't want to commit because it's embarrassing because I don't want to sound. <laughs> I don't want to actually try because then I'm afraid of what if I actually try and I'm bad, but I also don't want to not try at all because then I sound dumb. So I'm like half committing and it's really hard. So. Are you ready to move on to the actual topic of the day? Not really, but yes. We have to. We do. We've been spending 10 minutes talking about Spotify rap. We gotta move on. I know. I know. Erica, I trust your editorial judgment. Do you <laughs> Honestly, think I probably to edit like half of that out because I don't know how much of that was interesting. I know, probably none of it. So honestly, do you think that when Erica talks to us like normally... She's just going to be like, I wish I could skip. Like, I just wish I could edit this out. Especially <laughs> when she's talking to other people, like, people she doesn't like. She's like, I can, I wish I can edit this part. Of it. Oh, but, but we're obviously always interesting. She loves us. Anyway, so, as we said in the beginning, the very beginning of the episode, we are talking about body image and everything that comes with it. So, are you ready? I am. So, let me take you back in time to a time long before today, before coronavirus, before Twitter, the internet, and probably before I existed, dear listener. This year is somewhere between 1990 and 19, I don't know, 95. 
somewhere around there. So this brings forward an important question. From 1990 to now, with keto, Michelle Obama, and the power of the internet, have we actually gotten any healthier? Let's open this bad boy up a little bit later than them. In the year 2000, out with Bill Clinton, French fry president, who had an infamous relationship with John Mulaney. Obviously, they were very close. You might have to take that. I don't know if that's misinformation. Bill Clinton was out. George Bush and Dick Cheney were somehow in. Their administration had to address the rising obesity epidemic. Recently, the CDC compared some statistics. In response to the WHO's proclamation of the obesity epidemic, Americans started taking a deeper look at the food and diet culture that surrounded them. But what exactly was the current, you know, late 90s, early 2000s diet culture kind of producing? Well, let's take a look at some of the statistics. Let's hit the books. From 1999 to 2000, the prevalence of obesity was at 30.5%. Now let's look a little bit later, 2017 to 2018. That increased to a whopping 42.4%. And the prevalence of severe obesity increased from 47 to 9.2%. So clearly, even with some time to ruminate on this, there hasn't been much progress that has happened in the United States. But where is this obesity kind of spiking? Well, it really, according to the CDC and NIH, it tends to fall amongst different socioeconomic, educational lines, and of course, racial lines. The community that is the most affected by the obesity epidemic is non-Hispanic Blacks, followed by Hispanics and then non-Hispanic Whites, and then the lowest are non-Hispanic Asians. Overall, men and women with college degrees have lower obesity prevalence compared to those with less education. And of course, lastly, obesity often begins in childhood and typically will follow you into adulthood. So catching it early is important. This is something that really happens along generational lines. Childhood obesity is often linked to psychological problems, asthma, diabetes, and a lot of cardiovascular risk factors. This can lead to early mortality and morbidity in adulthood. Even though obesity was on the rise in the early 2000s, stick skinny body types and ideals were still all the rage. This meant that high-rise jeans were out from the 80s and low-rise jeans and belly button piercings were in. The it girls of this era, of course, is me and Ashley so beautifully covered, were Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, and people like Jennifer Lopez. All of these women iconically rocked low-rise jeans, oftentimes with a little belly button piercing. Low-rise jeans. Let's, let's revisit this idea. Let's look at some from the era of the time highlights and quotes on low-rise jeans. From City Beat Magazine. Not all women can pull off low-rise jeans. Please tell women that low-rise jeans only look good on a handful of people. Whenever I go out, all I see are girl love handles. GLH, hanging over low-rise jeans. For the love of humanity, Dan. So this is a quote from Dan Savage. Don't know who he is, and the article obviously has zero comments because he's clearly, you know. So this article has a lot of really misogynistic stuff on it. Thank you, and next. Uh, another great article from 2004 says, low-rise jeans, slutty and bad for your health. Thanks, Leah. And then, of course, from journalistic expertise, um, the Wall Street Journal even covered low-rise jeans, saying, 
fashion emergency, how to fix the downside of low rise pants. And it talks about, you know, hip dips and, you know, how when women sit down, you know, your belly will like flop over and normal stuff that happens when you sit, even if you're really skinny, when you sit down, your belly's going to roll. Like that's just what happens when you have fat on your body. But anyways, the basic silhouette that they wanted in the 2000s was a low-rise jean and a high-rise belly shirt with a belly button piercing. And you were supposed to be just super, super skinny. Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton were just stick skinny. And that was, that was the ideal. So it was completely unattainable and most people obviously didn't have it. This was a problem. In addition, plus-size fashion was super scarce. The options were limited. You were really limited to specialty stores like Torrid. And if plus-size fashion was available, it was always in a very, kind of like we still see today, like super backhanded. Like, here is a black wrap dress. That's it. Like, that's all you got. There wasn't like a lot of variety. It wasn't widely available. You had to go to different stores. Even for men, you know, you were probably going to Destination XL or Big and Tall. It was hard. So all of this... All of these problems, what's a girl to do? Well, the early 2000s has some great wisdom for that. Let's look at some early 2000s fad Dwyats. This is from Insider Magazine. Mm-mm-mm. Here, I'm going to go through the top five that I think are funny. One great way to lose weight in the 2000s was the Subway diet. Ashley, do you remember this one? I love Subway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but Subway was huge in the 2000s. It was huge. You could get so freaking skinny on a Subway low-carb sandwich and some sun chips. I really thought I would roll up into that Subway and I'd be like, girl, after two of these, I'm going to be slipping in to my little low-rise jeans and the tunic with long sleeve shirt. My mom wouldn't let me wear a belly shirt, so I could only wear those, but... Listen, one day I was going to be like, screw you, mom, and wear a belly shirt. Did you try the Subway Diet Ash? No, but I like Subway. I think it's good, but what's kind of funny (laughs) is that the bread has so much sugar in it that it's considered cake more than bread. Are you kidding me? Yes, there's a study done. I forget where. I think it was in Switzerland, Sweden, somewhere not in America. They tested the bread. They're like, yeah, this bread cannot be called bread. It's has a lot of sugar in it it's not bread (laughs) so it's like you're putting some cold cuts on some angel food cake and being like this is a diet pretty much although it's (laughs) so good but have you ever like when you walk into a subway it's like you know you're in a subway it just has that smell it smells uh, like sweat and cold cuts and like a little bit of depression (laughs) it's so comforting (laughs) so comforting the stale cookies look at you Uh, walk into the morning very hit or miss oh so hit or miss you're like can i please you the bathroom can I please use your bathroom? And they're like, no, as so you buy some sun chips and use the bathroom. And they're always inside of a Walmart. Anyways, so according to the chain's official website, the Subway Diet was co- created by a man named Jared Fog- Fogel in 1999 when he replaced two of his high-calorie meals with the low-fat Subway sandwiches. He lost a whopping 245 pounds in the first 11 months on his diet. And then he eventually started exercising in his daily routine and he lost a ton of weight, and he became a Subway spokesperson. However, Jared Fogel lost his standing with Subway when he 
was charged with and pled guilty to owning child pornography. The diet has never been supported by dietitians or even by Subway itself. It was, that was, that was rough. It was a rough statement from Subway corporate and I'm just not going to indulge it. Next up in 2003, the Atkins diet. It was a high fat, low carb eating plan. Sound familiar? High fat and low carb? Keto. Anyways, I think keto is like a more extreme version. That's how I think. So even though Atkins uh, was conceptualized in the 1960s, it became super mainstream in 2003 when um, Dr. Robert C. Atkins published Atkins for Life. And it was basically a very like popular book. A lot of people read it. You know, Katie was at the nail salon, I'm assuming, talking to Karen, and they both started doing Atkins and drinking shakes. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, next up, the South Beach, Di- the South Beach Dwight. My ma did this one. And so Your I ma best- did? My ma did. So I, by extension, had to do the South Beach diet because that's all she cooked. It was actually very tasty. It came with this like little, it was um, similar to the Atkins diet. Um, it was like low carb. Um, actually, honestly, I don't think it's, I'm not a dietitian and I'm not here to tell you what to do with your life. But to be honest, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was, I think it's like. What is the diet? So the diet is by cardiologist, Dr. Arthur Agustin and it's named after a popular Miami spot, South Beach. Of course, this also came out in 2003. Um, it's high protein, low carb, and it's a sol- solution to quick fix diets that left people hungry, aka a big comeback at the Atkins people because allegedly Atkins left people hungry. I don't know. I never did the Atkins diet. I just ate their cereal bars a lot as a kid because my aunt would buy them. So I ate them. And she'd be like, stop eating my diet bars. And I'd be like, these are tasty. I like that they're covered in chocolate. Okay, so the only downside is it tries to get you to consume processed vegetable oils, which could give you some health risks. But overall, it's just kind of like eat some tuna fish sandwich or salad or something. It's, it's, it's like picture you're at a, a Margaritaville, like that Margaritaville energy or maybe like Bahama Breeze energy. But like you're not eating the full range of the menu. You're just eating like the Applebee's like light and fit section. Like, whatever the equivalent is. Applebee's. <laughs> Next up, 2006, a ripe three years later, we're um, going to talk about the Master Cleanse. This was advocated for by none other than Beyonce. She was running in Ivy Park and doing a Master Cleanse. Oh, oh, and get this, get this. The Master Cleanse, a.k.a. the Lemonade Diet. You're not going to cheer? Like, her album? Lemonade? Yes! Oh. <laughs> Oh, Lemonade came out in the, like 2011 or 2012. Ugh, whatever. So I, my theory is she names Lemonade after this diet. Anyways, it requires participants to drink a cocktail of fresh squeezed lemon juice, cayenne pepper, maple syrup, and water for every meal for 10 days straight. Beyonce. Beyonce. That just sounds like a stomach ache. I know. That- well, she went on the master cleanse to lose weight for dream girls. Your dream girls. <laughs> that was probably more suffering than anyone who's ever done the diet. <laughs> Just not singing. <laughs> Dream girl. Oh, I was like, and I am telling you. I can't believe they got her to sing memories. That was the best part. I when Jennifer yeah. Hudson sang memories in cats, I sobbing. Full I forgot I was watching Cats the <laughs> musical. I was crying in the theater. Dude, holding it, your hand. The climax of the song where she's like, touch me. <laughs> 
Do you know what the other iconic time that song was saying? Diary of the Wimpy Kid. Yes, I was just thinking that. And you, when, when that Roger's little girl crying. Did you know yes. that he was actually crying because um, filming was about to wrap up? Aww. Isn't that really sad? Aww. But I thought she killed it. She did. She did a really good job. Honestly, I clapped in the theater when she finished. <laughs> I think I clapped more than when Jennifer Hudson sang. That's, that's going to be our next poll. Everybody, we're going to post a poll on Facebook. Who was the Better Memories cover by? That chick from Diary of the Wimpy Kids or Jennifer Hudson? I feel like that's an insult. I think we're going to go to hell for that one. I'm going to go to more hell for that one. Exactly. So anyways, Jay Bauer, don't know who he is, told the New York Times, but I think rightfully so, he said, of course you're going to lose weight. You're starving yourself. Exactly. Apparently he's an expert and a lot of people kind of call BS on this detox diet, according to Insider. Anyways, this one I remember from Kamorley Simmons. Remember her baby fat? She had a show on E? Ugh, whatever. Anyways, 2007, people followed the raw food diet. Um, this is basically, you don't eat like raw meat, I don't think. You eat like raw veggies and stuff because you want to get okay. all those like nutrients. I'm like, ah. And Kamorley Simmons used to do it. She like in one of her episodes ate it. And I was like, Kamora. Anyways, yeah. And of course- 2008, Nutrisystem became the trendy meal program, and now you can't escape it. Nutrisystem is everywhere. In 2009, we had the Special K diet. I didn't know it was a diet. I just say Special K all the time in 2009 because it was delicious. I ate a lot of it in college. It was so good. Were you aware you were doing the HIT diet, Special K? Did you lose a lot of weight? No, I think I actually gained weight, but that was not from Special K. That was was from the cafeteria. Yeah. Oh, wow. So listen to this. The company no longer promotes a program with Kellogg's CEO, John Bryant, saying in 2015 that the diet was, quote unquote, basically asking people to deprive themselves where they have less calories. So let's just take that sentiment and apply it to most diets of all time. That's pretty much all it is. They're going to say, eat the super acidic food because it's going to, quote unquote, like detox you or cleanse you or whatever. Basically, some of these foods and what they're putting in fad diets are kind of like diuretics. In my Dr. Julia opinion, some of these like diet pills and stuff, they're basically just diuretics and they're asking you to eat like 1,200 calories a day, which is not appropriate for an adult, period. No one should be eating 1,200 calories a day. Like I just don't think that's true. Unless your doctor specifically told you so, If so, and now you have a problem with what I just said because I told you what to do, please follow up with me at ashley.podcast at gmail.com. No. All of your complaints. All right, Um, what's your next freaking topic? (laughs) But do whatever feels good for your body and stuff. Just make sure you follow up with a doctor before you follow any of these stupid fad diets. Or see a nutritionist. See a nutritionist. Exactly. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body. It'll tell you what you need. It's Listen probably to your heart and your this body. He's <laughs> this... calling for you. That song should have played when I was like sadly eating Subway in 2005. <laughs> 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 Trying to get into slow rise jeans. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, once I wore low rise um jean shorts with leggings underneath, ballet flats, and a, and a baby doll shirt with a long sleeve top. She was like, you look so stupid right now. (laughs) Mom, shut up and just got my body back. (laughs) Eating all that subway. (laughs) Can you imagine 
imagine your child coming up to you in this ridiculous outfit. I'm like, I just got my body back. I just got my body back eating all that freaking Subway, Mom. Back off. I know you're jealous. Shut up, Mom. I look like Vanessa Hutchins. <laughs> oh, the Julia diet. Eat some $5 footlongs and then play Dance Dance Revolution Supernova for an hour. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, and then 2010, we entered with the apple cider vinegar diet, which every suburban mom I knew was on. Thank you, Insider. Big shout out to my, my favorite, new favorite journalist, Leah Racchetto, who published this article on January 17th, 2019. Go read the full thing. It was really cool. Honestly, I went down a whole rabbit hole. It's called The Most Popular Diet Trends Over the Last 100 Years. Great, great article. Thank you for all that information and letting me quote you verbatim. So those are the fad diets. Wasn't that a nice reprieve? Those clowns reading about them. A nice reprieve from <clears throat> the misogyny and staggering health crisis. At least people try to combat it, I guess. In the dumbest way possible. Yeah. I mean, people didn't know. So that's like one of the things they talk about. Basically, one of the biggest problems in the early 2000s, especially with you know, Americans addressing the obesity epidemic was they were getting mixed information from everywhere. So... The World Health Organization, the WHO, originally released public health recommendations for combating obesity by emphasizing personal responsibility over government action, according to the Center for Science and the Public Interest. That was kind of problematic because that doesn't change the corporations that are putting out food, and it doesn't change the accessibility to nutritional food, good food, and, you know, education about how you should be feeding your body. So you have basically... On the TV, Jared from Subway being like, hey, I lost all this weight. You could too. Julia, how about you go down to Subway in your leggings and low-rise jean shorts? <laughs> go, go eat a, like a $5 foot long. I, I did. I totally bought into that. Or, you know. Especially um, the $5, $5 foot long. long. And it was Subway, eat fresh. Even though now, as you just told me, it was basically angel cake with salami on it. So that's upsetting. And, or, or you had like the Nutrisystem ads or, you know, the Atkins diet or Beyonce telling you to do this master cleanse. Like it was, you know, you have all this background noise and then what's in front of you were very limited options. If we had time, and honestly, if I was a more educated person, I could tell you a lot more about redlining and food deserts. But basically, this is the idea that healthy food is really something and access to a multitude of healthy options for eating is expensive. And it's something that really only is a bit widely available in suburbs. So in rural areas and in urban areas, because of the lack of infrastructure and money, people basically end up in these things called food deserts where, you know, there is not a grocery store within like walking distance or easily accessible one. And oftentimes the, you know, convenience stores that are available have things like, you know, ho-hos or it's fast food, you know, and it's cheaper, you know, buying everyone a dollar meal, you know, healthy food is expensive, oftentimes inaccessible and the actual genuine information on diet and nutrition really wasn't there. And this does not, of course, just happen randomly to people on accident. This happens in areas that oftentimes get forgotten about because injustice. So what do you get, Ashley, when you mix unrealistic beauty standards, unattainable beauty standards, and no real way to address your health accessible information telling you how you should take care of your body and what bodies generally look like. But what do you get? I'm guessing 
eating disorders? That's right. So this is a more serious topic. In the 2000s, as people kind of became more aware of the health and nutrition crisis, people also started to become more aware of eating disorders, what they were, what they looked like. And um, I think they became more visible and more talked about and more understood, which means that more people were, thank God, you know, diagnosed and got the help and treatment that they needed. But also I think a lot more because of the, you know, the beauty industry with airbrushed models with flat tummies and belly button rings, it also increased pressure on young women to be, you know, stick skinny, which, you know, could have led to some unhealthy ways of viewing themselves and their bodies and how they should take care of themselves, both in young women and of course men. So there were 29,500 eating disorder related hospital stays from 2008 to 2009 with a principal or secondary eating disorder diagnosis. And that was a 24% increase from 1999 to 2000. So just in a little under 10 years, there was a 24% increase in eating disorder diagnosis-related hospital stays. That's pretty staggering. That's a big cultural shift. That doesn't just happen on accident. This increase is largely attributed to the 40% rise in secondary diagnoses for eating disorders. So more people were getting diagnosed, therefore more people could track it when they were getting put into the hospital in the late 2000s. So this is both good, but also highlights how rough the industry kind of got. So basically, kind of as we leave the 2000s and we go into the 2010s, you're seeing big jumps in obesity and big jumps in eating disorders and big jumps in crazy fad diets. You also have a change in administrations from Bush to Obama. George Bush attempted to address the obesity epidemic by doing a couple things. Firstly, just being a good old Texan boy, you know, just as he was. Probably, I'm sure he has a Bushism on this, but I just haven't found it. So George Bush wanted the WHO to do more, the World Health Organization, to do more, addressing this by pushing governments to take action. However, the WHO didn't necessarily do that. And ironically, the Bush administration's Healthier U.S. initiative didn't really do much more than just inform people about their personal choices, which is weird. The Healthier U.S. Initiative encouraged Americans to be physically active every day, eat a nutrition diet, get preventative screenings, and make healthy choices. This doesn't necessarily give you the structural change you need. Though in several interviews, George Bush talked about the lack of healthy um, food access in schools and education on nutrition. He declared fee-free weekends in America's national parks and federal lands. He created a healthy, healthier U.S. and .gov website, basically, that gave you government fitness resources and get healthy. I feel like that was a very good Bush impression. Get, get out there and get, get healthy. healthy. Get healthy. Yeah. He actually, to be honest, the Bush swing of things was not bad. Overall, it kind of laid a lot of the groundwork for, I think, what we kind of saw during the Obama administration. It was a lot of similar stuff, and I think that that's a really, I think it's something that is a rarity, I feel like, in 2020. But I I think this is, and every president has their downfalls. I'm not endorsing anyone, and I'm not tearing anybody down. But I'm just saying, I think this is one of those really nice political moments where you kind of see two different presidential administrations from two different parties working together in a sort of cohesive manner addressing an issue. But I think a lot of the stuff you see here 
was built upon and changed and improved with the Obama administration, which is great. That is the kind of stuff you want to see in a functioning government. <laughs> That's what we strive for. They're trying their best. Even though obesity rates continue to rise in the United States. Obviously, as we know, that's one of those things you really have to kind of address in childhood. So it's a lot. It's a big thing to undertake. But let's take our, our way out to our woman, Michelle freaking Obama. Of course, a girl boss, an icon. I need you to be my live studio audience. Okay. <laughs> then we're wrap it up, lady. Ah! Okay. Michelle Obama. She comes in with her strong arms and she's like, I'm going to fix America. And we're all like, yes, thank you. As she said to Oprah in an interview, basically what she wanted to do was to prove to all young women and to a lot of the young kids in America that you didn't need to be a like, star athlete to just get out, go out there and play and move. And it's something that everybody does and everyone should do. And it's a part of a good, healthy lifestyle and it can be fun and you can be goofy and you can let go and dance around. Michelle, thank you, mama. Also, Michelle and George Bush are friends, so maybe that's something to do with it. Well, I know back then, like, a lot of kids did not like Michelle because they're like, they're, she's taking our cookies away. Oh, I remember that. I was one of those kids. I was like, where are the ice cream bars, Michelle Obama? <laughs> they're not in my cafeteria anymore. But it's now I'm like, yeah, that's really a good thing. Because... Oh, no, it was for the best. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for doing that. Again, a similarity you see between administrations. George Bush talked about, you know, needing to get healthier options into foods. Michelle Obama helped bring that into fruition. That's awesome. More of that. Thank you. <laughs> that was productive. Anyways, healthy food. So First Lady Michelle Obama's childhood obesity and addressing it was her signature issue. She started a White House vegetable garden. Aw, uh, Michelle. I hope, I hope that's probably gone. So with working with agriculture, education, health and human services and others, um, they had a 90-day arrived action plan, you know, tackling the considerable public health problem of overweight children. I wonder what Jill Biden, Dr. Biden's, or what her thing is going to be. I don't know. Her initiative. And now, as we see, with really amazing women like Michelle Obama taking the lead, well, obviously, body positivity and, and loving ourselves has been something that people have advocated before, before, but Michelle Obama really making this her signature issue and preaching about loving yourself and taking care and having a healthy body. You know, she was able to take the lead on that, but of course we all know the true queen of body positivity is Miss Tyra Banks. We're going to not think about her America's Next Top Model stuff right now. We're just going to think about this, this one, one instance. This one this particular, one particular instance that was just, it's so iconic. Tyra Banks, one day. Um, later in her career, she had a talk show, America's Next Top Model, but she wasn't necessarily modeling. And, you know, as women age, we tend to put on a little bit of weight. Okay, we put, on, we put a little, we got a little junk in the trunk. We, we, I don't know, the weight of being a woman weighs on us, right? Yeah, we can't just survive on $5 footlongs forever, okay? <laughs> At some point, we have to go eat other things. We just can't eat Special K all the time. So anyways, Tyra Banks goes out in this cute little one-piece swimsuit. It was black and had stripes across, like, the chest. And all these tabloids take pictures of Tyra, and they're like, she's getting fat. Ugh. I'm sure it was written by, you know, bitter men that were jealous that they weren't, you know, Tyra Banks. So, oh, they called her, um, in the tabloids, they called her Thyra Banks. And America's Next Top Waddle, Tyra Pork Chops, all poking fun at 
Tyra Banks' alleged weight gain, but rather than, you know, letting the fatphobic media and tabloids, you know, take her down, she comes out on her own talk show in that same one piece, the striped swimsuit, and she has a moment, a speech, a revolution. She says, and I quote, I have something to say to all of you. Oh, wait, no. She says, and I quote, Erica, roll the tape. So I have something to say to all of you that have something nasty to say about me or other women that are built like me, women whose names you know, women whose names you don't, women who've been picked on, women whose husbands put them down, women at work or girls in school. I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Ladies, gentlemen, dummy boys and babies, listen to that sound. That's insane. That's a body revolution moment right there. That was crazy. That was a moment in time. Anyways, that kind of, that was kind of a real turning point. I mean, because it brought it to the mainstream. And, And of course, People Magazine put Tyra on the cover. This is all people could talk about. So People Magazine, of course, puts her on the cover. And under the headline, you call this fat? I'm 161 pounds. And I still feel hot. And yeah, she might have gained 30 pounds, but obviously Tyra being as tall, she has 161 pounds, isn't that heavy. Um, but it kind of, well, yeah, that, that's not like the best way to, to address fat phobia. It kind of allowed women to obtain like, the, it was, it's Tyra stood up for everyone who wasn't basically sitting by that heroin, what they called in the 90s, heroin chic silhouettes. It was really cool. It was iconic. It was revolutionary. So take that, Dr. Atkins. Take that, low-rise jeans. Were apple bottoms jeans? you dirty piece of shit for so many reasons my beef and on that note it's time are you done hold on i need to check. i'm so done okay it is time to move on from the 2000s and on to the 2010s so right now our editor e is gonna play a little clip that i have from a video on youtube called girls ages 6 through 18 talk about body image from allure magazine and I just want to point out some of these things that these girls say. I have struggled with my body. Yeah, I just, I feel sometimes really insecure in my own skin about it. My legs, for instance, there's that whole entire like trend in the media about the thigh gap. Like I don't have that, like that makes me not normal. That makes me not beautiful. I think I've gotten to the point where I accept that. I don't know, I still kind of struggle with that. The other day, this girl I know posted on her Finsta saying people that don't look good in bikinis, shouldn't go out in public in bikinis. And it started like this whole big thing and it hurt a lot of like my own friends' feelings. The other day actually, I saw a comment on one of my really good friends. It was saying, you're so fat, like you need to lose weight. So besides those two clips that I played from the video, other things that the girls mentioned, the um, being uncomfortable with their height, weight, eating disorders, um, more specifically the idea of fasting, large butts, large boobs, tiny waists, aka slim thick, not being comfortable in their own skin, face structure, avoid looking in the mirror. And then towards the end of the video, she they kind of talk more positive about what they love about their body. The girls mention uh, skin color, eyes, arms, words of affirmation to themselves, different standards of beauty, and also the importance of representation in media about different body types. So what I wanted to tackle, the common idea of the 2010s I found while researching was this idea of 
there's a lot of body negativity going around, but also body positivity. So it's kind of like that idea of like hating ourselves, but also kind of also trying to love ourselves in a way, which I kind of thought was well put with that video. So in an article by uh, this one company called Clementine, they treat eat, um, a whole company about resources about treating eating disorders. So they have some eye-opening facts about children with 69% of children have their own smartphones by age 12. This went up 41% since 2015. So this article was written March 13, 2020, just for perspective. The percentage of teenagers who watch videos online in daily increased from 34% in 2015 to 69% in 2019. More than 70 percent of teens visit at least one social media platform per each day. Instagram is strongly favored by teens. Now we can probably say that's TikTok, or at least one of them. According to 54% of teens, parents would be much more worried about their social media use if they actually know what happened on it. 40, and 43% of teenagers feel bad about themselves if a social media post doesn't get enough likes or comments, and the same percentage has deleted the post because of it. So they kind of talk about a few different things I want to bring up in this article, like how social media can help, unfortunately, trigger um, trigger a disorder. Number one is unrealistic perception of body image. There are countless photos of celebrities, athletes, and models, including Instagram models and social media that are many teens and tween girls aspire to. And also, you got things. Eight percent of Instagram accounts are fake, according to the research complied by Ghost Data. Unsurprisingly, many of the fake accounts feature photos of supermodels and celebrities. So because kids see all these like hot people, they think, oh, I want to look like that. And then that can lead to dangerous behaviors. Because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of kids don't realize a lot of these videos are, or not videos, photos are edited to make the model look the best they can, either by lighting or touching up the photo, editing, Photoshop. And also the model themselves might be going through dangerous behaviors themselves. Yeah. Even like the TikTok teens and the Instagram teens, I see all these like short Instagram reel videos and like TikToks and like how to pose for photos. Yeah. And some of them are like how to pose to look skinnier. And it like shows them like forcing kind of perspective by like shoving their hips back and their chest forward. Tyra Banks taught me that trick on America's Next Top Model. It is nothing revolutionary. Boobs yeah. and butt out, tubby in. But, like, you know, it's it's crazy. And then on top of that, there's Facetune and hair extensions and mm -hmm. all this crazy stuff, waist trainers. Jesus. Also, the number two is placing less importance on in-person interactions. They say young, young women living with eating disorders um, often engage in private. And it's just kind of social media also prevents a false sense of togetherness. And this could be worrisome with teens who are in recovery for eating disorder. It's kind of just basically a lot of people feel more comfortable behind a screen. Uh, the Common Sense Media study found that 42% of teens admitted that social media distracts them from the time they could be spending with friends or family, up from 34% in 2012. So it's only going up and up and it's getting younger and younger too. Like my nephews picked up their mother's iPads from like the age of two. Starting the teens early. It's starting the babies, basically. Mm -hmm. And especially now with the pandemic, it's kind of... Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like also after every single... At least when I'm on Instagram Reels, and I don't know if you get this too, 
but I'll be watching. I watch TikToks on Instagram Reels sometimes or on the For You page for Instagram. I don't know. And I feel like it'll be one screen, which is like a TikTok about something random. And then the next thing is, hey, want to lose weight fast or want to get a smaller waist? Like that's always the next TikTok. Mm-hmm. And especially it's always new tummy teas and stuff. Especially with New Year's coming up. It's, that's always oh on people's God. New Year's resolutions. I want to lose weight. I want to get skinny. Oh my God, you think I'm skinny? You think I'm skinny? Uh, <laughs> Me going to something. Shut up. Number three is feelings of uh, exclusion. Uh, it's basically kids like very small sh- social circles and a lot of people, a lot of kids are now facing struggling with many aspects of social functions and social media can easily make someone feel excluded. Like you see kind of like on those reels, like you see these fun kids having fun. I said fun twice. These fun kids having fun. These TikTok teens having fun on a beach and you're like, damn, I wish I was on that beach. And then you get sad. And (laughs) and it's just like, damn, I wish I was there. It's just that feeling of missing out. FOMO. FOMO. Yeah. Mm, Even that, that would happen to me in college. Like, I would see, like, Snapchats of people at parties and stuff. They're like, oh, I wish I was there. And then I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I won't. No, because when I would come home from a party, you'd be like, yeah, I'm so happy I skipped out. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that, I'm staying home. When we were roommates, at the moment, you're like, eh. I would be like, do you want to come to this party with me, Ashley? And she'd be like, and I'm going to stand. And then she'd like be in her pajamas. She might like say, yeah, during the beginning of the day. But by like 8 p.m., she's like in her jammies. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going. And I'd go by myself and I'd come home and I'd be like, I had a terrible time. And she'd be like, I know. That's why I didn't go. <laughs> I was just like, why? Yeah, why did you go in the first place? You'd be like asleep. And then you'd be like, ah, shut off the lights. <laughs> We're not bringing that into here. Jeez. All right. Oh my gosh. Another way. People don't know what I've lived through. Anyway. Shush. <laughs> the next tap, the next bullet point I want to mention is cyberbullying. Oh my god, <gasps> that one movie! Remember that ABC movie on cyberbullying? Yes, with Emily Osment. Yes, with Emily Osment, with Lily. Yes, I do remember that. Sixty-five uh, percent of people with an eating disorder said that bullying contributed to it, according to the National Eating Disorders Association, the NEDA. Social media has provided a platform which bullies can ta- take their tactics much well too far outside the whalem of the schoolyard. Though none of them have been published yet, studies are being conducted to prove that cyberbullying is actually more damaging than regular bullying, which I agree, because kids are mean. They'll just say like, hey, you, right on the screen. You're what? Like, and yeah, so basically cyberbullying has gotten worse over the years because kids are getting smarter and there's a lot of different platforms, social media platforms that kids can go on. And yeah, imagine getting G-chatted but by like Kyle from math class about your dandruff, like while you're at home. It's bad enough that Kyle said something at lunch, but now he can get you whenever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why a lot of people are now taking the stance of not going on social media. And I'm like, oh, you brave souls. <laughs> and now I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't, especially with jobs. I have to be on social media. The last part is easy access to pro eating disorder communities. Websites that are pro eating disorder often um, referred to as pro-ana, pro-anorexia, and pro-mia, pro-bulimia have often been have been around as long as the internet, but social media gives them a far-reaching platform. I saw this a lot on Tumblr. Me too. A lot of people. And also, I know a popular YouTuber that comes up, Eugenia Cooney. 
Yeah, Eugenia Cooney. And Shane Dawson did that whole thing on her. Are you on Twitter during my speech? <laughs> no. I just sent you one tweet. Do you want me to read you the tweet? My 36-year-old boyfriend just asked if I ever, quote-unquote, go up the stairs on all fours and then demonstrated it and admitted I do it all the time. It's really good. I got a push put notification the, for that put it, on, put it on the statement that Julia doesn't listen when I talk? No, I just got a push notification. I thought you would like it. We'll retweet it and you guys can laugh at it. <laughs> it's a really good... It got a push notification. I thought you would like it. Sorry. I was looking at my push notifications. This is this cyberbullying or is this cyber neglect? Cyber neglect. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to. I'm addicted to my phone. We're ending the show. This is it. Michael Jackson's. This is it. Michael Jackson's. This is it. So yeah, that's some of them. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't. Yeah. So pro Anna communities. So yeah, Eugenia Cooney. She's still. She's actually kind of back on YouTube and. It's not good. It's not a good situation. So she herself has never said anything like encouraging people not to eat or anything. She just, she's very, very, very thin, almost emaciated, basically. And she did go for help and then kind of basically reverted back. And that's, and that's the thing, I think, with a lot of different mental health issues and things we struggle with day in and day out, it, it's this awful process of trying to get better and failing and trying and trying and trying and fighting every single day against those old habits they die so hard it's um i learned back in one of my psych classes that when you try to develop like new life patterns it's like you've been walking one way in a big bank of snow everyone probably has heard this who's ever been to therapy but it's like you're running in a big bank of snow you've been taking one path the whole time and it's down to the grass but the snow around you is up to your hips and trying to make a new neural pathway and a new behavioral pattern is like running back through that bank of snow in a totally different direction. It sucks. And then you're like, oh, my old path is right there. And you kind of have to just wait and hope that slowly but steadily that old path gets fed in or filled in by the old snow. Yeah. I found another article called based from the EMILY program. They are also another group that deal with eating disorders. They kind of go through year by year. I also wanted to point out some things from this decade that they've noticed. So in 2010, a former cosmopolitan editor exposes the reverse retouching practices used to airbrush magazines from models who appear visibly unwell. Because I feel like that's also kind of going off of Eugenia, because you also, I feel like so many users or audience members or people who read magazines and stuff, like it's easy, like people are noticed or like, oh, this celebrity has gotten fatter or something like that but then people are also quick to notice like hey she looks skinny she looks really bad so magazines try like to Adele. yeah not that Adele looks bad um but I feel like Adele coming out this year after losing all that weight you know it's all everyone could ever talk about but Adele didn't say anything about it for the longest time she just posted a picture from her birthday and then everyone was like Adele's too skinny it ruined her voice which isn't even true yeah it's not true and yeah, so a lot of, and you see a lot of models often do put themselves through, as I said, dangerous things. So magazines try to cover that up to make them look healthier, but a former cosmetologist and editor was like, no. <laughs> so kind of posting a touch, 
Sonia Renee Taylor launches the Body is Not an Apology movement with a Facebook post that has since united a global community of in unapologetic and radical self-love. Yes. Wait, did you see her on Brene Brown? That's my favorite know. episode of Brene Brown. Oh, cool. Uh, in 2012, Kitty Kirk and Lady Gaga experience, share their experiences with eating disorders, joining celebrities like Demi Lovato, Paula Abdul, and going back to the crown, Princess Diana, who also publicly addressed the issue. So it's important. It's important for, they basically just talk about their experiences and what they went through and hopefully to kind of just be honest with people and, and not make it so taboo. Yeah, it's that whole thing of shame dies in the light. Once we talk about something and we can, you know, realize this, this is something that a lot of people experience, we're able to process it and move forward and realize it's so human to go through these things. And, you know, it's okay to struggle and get help and, you know, address the stuff that holds us back. And it's, it was so nice seeing people come out and talk about this stuff because in the early 2000s, you didn't see a lot of it. Mm-mm. No, and you saw on the like on the, you know, almost opposite side of things, girls who clearly struggling with their bodies and, you know, maybe even like questionably having an eating disorder were shamed for being too skinny and, you know, really brutalized in the media. Which is why it's so surprising when Princess Diana came out, if you didn't, Princess Diana died in 1997. So she was a trailblazer when talking about this stuff because it all Mm -hmm. happened in the 80s and she was talking about in the early 90s. I had no idea. Yeah, Princess Diana had a crazy life. I would love to, like, talk about her. She's just a very fascinating woman. Anyway, fast forwarding a little bit to 2015, Facebook removes its feeling fat status option in emoticon in response to a change.org petition. Also, model and body image activist Tess Holiday is featured on the cover of a People's, body, People's Magazine Body Issue cover. In 2016, Congress passes the 21st Century Cures Act, including provisions from the Anna Weston Act of 2015 to become the first legislation specifically written for people with eating disorders. So it was only a few years ago. That's the first one happened then. First, yes, specifically written for eating disorders. Are you kidding me? It took that long? Not kidding. So the WHO talks about obesity and you know eating disorders in the 90s and we don't get around to doing something at like a governmental level like that till 2016 yep um oh mattel um introduces the new barbie body types for the first time in the doll's 57th history and ashley graham and ashley graham becomes the first plus-size woman on the cover of sports illustrated swimsuit edition this is all in 2016 all 2016 Wow, big year. Yeah, I was just like, in my notes, I was like, all of it. All of it. Uh, also then, fast forwarding uh, twenty a uh, couple more years. In 2019, Instagram and Facebook banned the promotion of weight loss products to users under 18 in a Hulu miniseries called Shrill, featuring a plus-size woman's story of self and body acceptance, review, receives favorable reviews, and it was re- renewed for a second season. Yay, A.D. Bryant. Yeah, so... He's so funny. So, yeah, kind of going off of that, and, like, you also have stars. So we have people like Ashley Graham and now Lizzo coming into the scene. Really, Lizzo's popularity, like, shabammed in 2020, I feel. So you got people like that coming into the scene, showing just different 
kind of going back to the girls' video, how they want to see different body representation of all different types. Wow. And that's, yeah. And I think I remember watching Lizzo in her interview with David Letterman, and she was basically like, I'm getting up there and I'm showing you if I can love myself, we can all love ourselves. And it's like back to that radical self-love. And people, people are hungry for that. They want to see that. I want to see that as someone who's thicker and also like who doesn't fit the standard. But also what's mm-hmm. the standard anymore? Really? It's different for every person. Like what you're, and also being skinny doesn't mean you're healthy. Being fat doesn't mean you're unhealthy. That blew my mind. Figuring out that you can still be healthy and, you know, kind of maintain a healthy body at any weight mm-hmm. shakes me to my core because I think growing up in the early 2000s, like we did, so much emphasis was placed on things like BMI. Yeah. When BMI, it doesn't even, it's actually not an accurate measure of anything. You know, your BMI doesn't necessarily attribute how much you should weigh. Mm-hmm. So, like with Lizzo and her TikTok, she, a lot of her videos are about, she exercises quite a bit. And she eats a lot of healthy food. So I think she is working her way to be healthier. Mm-hmm. But she's and but she's also thick. She's thick. Though so after all of this, after Where are we today, Julia? So unfortunately childhood obesity is still a problem and it's still very prevalent. We're still in an obesity epidemic. Though I think Recently, I haven't seen much action or heard of a lot of stirrings towards addressing the obesity epidemic. A lot of this is because while we're getting things like more representation, which are huge strides forward, and you know, in 2016, we had our first legislation addressing eating disorders, the underlying issues and the systemic oppression that actually causes obesity is still not fully been addressed. Right. And in order to actually, you know, solve the issue of the obesity epidemic, we need to solve the issue of overworking people, underpaying people, increasing access to information and education and resources to take care of themselves and really addressing a lot of the deep inequality in our healthcare system. And until we have that, you're going to see increases in things like obesity. It, it can be something that unfortunately holds you back and you know shortens your lifespan. It's something that we really need to I think in the coming years, we're probably going to see a big reckoning with healthcare. I can see, I think especially after the COVID pandemic, yeah. we might see a lot of, of shifts. Mm-hmm. I'm not I saying what they should be, and I'm not endorsing anything, but I yeah. am saying keep informed with a reliable news source and vote. Yeah. I hope with the changing, with the next coming years, we kind of get our focus back on health. I think, yeah, as you said, with COVID, that's probably going to happen, but also with health in general going back. Because I feel like, yeah, in the past few years, that question of being healthy, like even with kids, has gone in the toilet. (laughs) Totally (laughs) does. I I really haven't seen, like even, like I have nephews, so I've seen like on the kids shows and like commercials and stuff, what are they doing? They really haven't been promoting much healthy Mm -mm. things, (laughs) if that's making sense, like healthy behaviors and things like that, or even... I feel like Nickelodeon um, normally has this thing called the Nickelodeon Day of Play. Uh, we didn't have time really to talk about it, but every year Nickelodeon does a whole day of where they just, the channel basically goes dead air, but they have like a little thing like go outside and play for the day. 
Although most kids joke like, that's when I would watch Disney Channel and Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea is good, like trying to get kids out there and away from the TV screen. Now it's just like Nickelodeon should just have like an out, like a day of like no screens, just like like a phone or an iPad or video game. It's just kind of, it's so hard now, especially now. And after this, kids are going to just be even more addicted to their screen. Or, or it could be the opposite, that they are sick of looking at their screens and they want to go out and do stuff. I disagree. I think they're going to get addicted. I, I mean, we know from things like the social dilemma that these apps are really designed to be addictive and we were all groomed to be the perfect consumer. So it's hard to get kids out there. But anyways, 2020, let's, let's, let's assess the current state of things, pandemic aside and all of their horrors aside. Right now you see a lot of things heading up the potty positivity, you know, movement. Um, one of the big things from this year that was a big plus for me was Calvin Klein's specifically around Pride's Month, celebrated a Black trans woman of size, which is wonderful. So for like one of the first times ever, on a big billboard in New York City, we had our first Black trans, you know, woman of size, like up there just doing her thing and and being beautiful and rocking her Calvins, in her Calvins. Her name is Jari Jones, 29. This also included people of differing abilities, including Chalaman, I think is how you say his name. Of course, him with his cochlear implants and, you know, a lot of other folks. This is just revolutionary. And seeing this, I remember the first time seeing this Pride series and how inclusive it was and all the different body types that was a part of it. I thought it was so beautiful and it made me feel seen and so proud. And I think seeing the intersectionality of the LGBT community is just, I think it's really wonderful. You know, on the downside, we also have people, you know, policing Billie Eilish mm-hmm. and her body. Um, she just turned 18 this year, and yeah. tabloids are already taking pictures of her saying, oh, Billie, Billie Eilish is fat, and Billie Eilish is this. And again, it goes back to creepy old white men trying to police women's bodies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the good with the bad. Uh, so you're seeing inclusive, you know, rise in popularity of things like body positivity and diversity, but you're also going to see the Kardashians still pushing their tummy teas and sugar bear hair pills and whatever. So and all the TikToks and reels saying you want to lose or just oh I see a lot of plus size lay on the towel or whatever you know a lot of plus size TikTokers show a lot of comments they get of like like comments saying you're like you're a fat cow or you're ugly just things like that so it's a lot of same old bullshit so I guess that brings us back to our original question. Has the attitudes around eating, eating disorders, and, you know, different sized people actually changed? Yes and no. You know, there's always going to be assholes out there trying to please you and your body and other people's bodies. And the latter still very much exists, you know, going back to Sonia Renee Taylor. The latter is there. But what you can do as a human being is educate yourself. There are good resources out there that you can go to to learn how to actually properly feed and take care of your body. There's a lot of different people you can reach out to and resources that actually give you good information on, you know, the psychological aspect of health and wellness. And you can use a lot of good consumer judgment. Follow people who lift you up and make you feel good. Follow people of different sizes and colors and shapes and ability levels and really try to diversify that feed and see beauty from different angles 
Billie Eilish created a short film titled Not My Responsibility. Um, basically, the portion of the film was initially shared featuring Eilish removing a black tank top to reveal a black bikini all around her Cynthia narration questioning the perception of and the right, the very right to perceive her body. And under just four minutes, the full video begins with Eilish in a trademark black zip-up hood pulled over with two-toned links before oh, she sh sheds the layers of it. And I just want to end with this quote from it. Some people hate what I wear. Some people praise it. Some people use it to shame others. Some people use it to shame me. But I feel you watching always, and nothing I do goes unseen. So whether I feel your stares, your disapproval, or your sigh of relief, if I lived by them, I'd never be able to move. Would you like me to be smaller, weaker, softer, taller? Would you like me to be quiet? Do my shoulders provoke you? Does my chest? Am I my stomach, my hips? Though Eilish has struggled with body image issues in the past, those are her own. The opinions of others should be taken elsewhere. Oof. She's so smart. Yeah, for... That was... She's so young, too, but she I feel like she had to grow up really fast. Very wise. Um, yeah, she's very wise for her age. That's not even... That doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> So, Anyways. any last thoughts or anything before we wrap up this episode? Uh, that was a heavy one for everyone who made it through. Good for you. That was a marathon, it feels like. Important. If you want to see that tweet about that I forwarded to Ashley that she so rudely rejected. Oh, my God. Well, so, ch be sure to check out our Twitter and Facebook where we're going to have a poll on who did it better, covering the song Memories from Cats. Was it Patty Farrell from Diary of the Wimpy Kid or our girl Jennifer Hudson in Hooper's adaptation of Cats? Let you be the one to decide. And on that note, make sure you follow our socials for that riveting poll. <laughs> <laughs> and also and just to uh, get some updates and news from us. Yeah. We want to be in touch. We want to be friends. Anyway, also you can email us at readyrewindpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or suggestions that you would, of topics you would like for us to talk about. And as always, any complaints, comments, no, 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 that is hate mail, no, please no. send to Ashley at Anyway, podcast. thank you guys so much for coming to this very lovely yet hard-hitting episode. And next week will be lighter, <laughs> I promise. It'll be fun. Yes. Already. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Ready? Rewind.